Are you an independent creator whose Kickstarter or self-published comic could use a fresh set of eyes? Are you a comics blogger who self-edits and maybe doesn't have time to catch every last typo or missing word in their long-form piece about the importance of lettering or subtextual themes in X-Men? Fun fact, in addition to running comics up-and-comingest news site, uh, WMQ Comics editor-publisher Dan Grote has more than a decade's worth of experience as a professional editor and wants to bring his skills to your next comics or comics-adjacent project. Whether you're writing a script, in the lettering phase, or running your own blog, WMQ&E Editing Services can provide you the copy editing, proofreading, and advice you need to make your next project a success. In the process, you contribute to the success of WMQ Comics by allowing us to provide a service that can help us expand our site. Let's face it, everyone needs an editor. Let us help you get closer to perfection. For more information and rates, email danpgrote at gmail.com. WMQA! Hello and welcome to WMQ&A, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week we've brought back all-star Will Nevin, he of the Wednesday Warriors column at AL.com and OregonLive.com, to drink bourbon and talk comics. We get into recent retailer woes, DC's outreach to Walmart and the bookstore market, uh, Ahoy Comics second wave, and whether Rob Liefeld is punking us with Major X. Uh, we also talk about some of our favorite comics from the past month. And yeah, Batman White Knight comes up again for some reason. Uh, there's also a little bit of awkward conversation surrounding images gunning for hits that uh, I chose to leave in because, well, frankly, sometimes I stick my foot in my mouth and it's important to show that I'm not perfect. Uh, speaking of Will, he is going to have a Q&A with author Chuck Palahniuk on our site this week, which is just one of the many awesome pieces you can look forward to at WMQComics.com. Joshua Vermont is going to have a macro review up on the launch titles from TKO Studios, the newest publisher in town. Uh, we may be getting some fresh X content from Charlie Davis uh, as the age of X-Man dawns, and we are making our way through April solicits, so look for our top picks from Marvel, DC, and all the rest. But for now, here are me and Matt and Will. So uh, first things first, uh, Will, what are you drinking tonight? Chattanooga whiskey, sir. What's the uh, what's the verdict on it? It's quite good. Um, it's uh, one of the nice craft distilleries I can get down here, so uh, no complaints. All right, very nice, very nice. Uh, yeah, so we're just going to do kind of a little informal free for all uh, news roundup, book club type of thing here. But I wanted to start with the silliest thing possible, uh, which is. Uh, you know, on Friday, uh, Marvel had a little bit of, uh, let's, let's call it press release diarrhea. Why not? But <laughs> perhaps my favorite thing to come out of that batch was a little Rob Liefeld chestnut called Major X. I'm just going to go ahead and read the solicit text. <laughs> and then we can get it. Make, 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 yes. And then we can make with the snap judgments. Uh, Major X introduces a new character who is certain to mix up everything in the X world. He hails from another existence, which is called the X-Istance, a mutant Shangri-La, safe haven that has been a realm where mutant kind has lived in peace and harmony. They escaped there following a tragedy that befell mutant kind and built this community, but then a terrible event happens within the X-Istance that causes Major X to cross over and land in the Marvel Universe that we know. Uh, so my, my initial question is... Has Rob Liefeld reached the point in his career? And and to be clear and to be fair, this this man is probably one of the only creators in the business who has fu money, so he gets to play. 
he gets to do these things. But has he reached the point in his career where he's being knowingly self-parodical? Nothing I've ever seen Liefeld do or say has given me the impression he has that kind of sense of humor. It might not, I might be incorrect. I'm not an expert on Liefeld interviews, but he's never given me the impression as someone who would take the piss out of himself this much. I'm just sort of surprised it's not a cyber frog uh, crossover. So, you know, I'm happy there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Now, six months will be teaming up with Jawbreaker's Lost Souls. No. uh, (laughs) Oh, my heart. No, no. Liefeld doesn't strike me as the gator type. He's too, you know, he's 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 a happy, enthusiastic lad, you know, and and I think part of it, you know, we we give Liefeld shit. But here's the thing. And, and this is always the thing to take into account with X fandom. Regardless of whether you think this concept was fed to him by an 11 year old, possibly the same kid who created Axe Cop, um, <laughs> someone down the line, maybe five years, maybe 20, is going to come back and say, No, this is my favorite X Men character. You need to bring him back. Because that's how this fandom works. This is the same, and, and I say this as a member of the fandom, you know, this is the same people who build cults of personality around Maggot and Glob Herman and Brew, you know, for, for example, and, 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 you know, created Cyclops Was Right t-shirts. Damn right he was. You see? <laughs> uh, I... I- I just wonder, though, and the only reason I brought up the, the cyber frog connection, and certainly not say that uh, he's any type of asshole with those assholes, <laughs> but it just seems like the moment has passed him by. You know, um, the the whole X, you know, kind of thing has has, you know, that's that's firmly twenty years ago, twenty five years ago. Um, at least in terms of the naming and the brand and the, the ethos. So, uh, again, I maybe this is going to be a great character. Maybe it is going to be ultimately revered, but I don't think so. Uh, you know, I, I got to kind of go with you on this one, Will, because I do not know anyone who has come back and said that Liefeld's brief return to X-Force, a 2000... An, early 2000s five or six issue miniseries no one brings that up no one brings up the Shatterstar mini he did spinning out of that with Marit Michaels that and, and you know maybe you know in the immortal words of Principal Seymour Skinner prove me wrong children prove <laughs> me wrong but no one sits back and says that that's their seminal thing I mean Domino in Strife's armor come on Oh, that's right. I, I blocked that out. I only remembered it. it. It somehow, I got flashes of it when I saw Major X. It was like, oh, what was the last time Liefeld actually did X? I was like, oh, oh, God. Oh, 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 God, no, no, no. My, my, my mind's eye. Ah! <laughs> the goggles do nothing. 
if, for our listeners, I am getting over the flu, so the odds of me speaking in quotes, familiar and snugly quotes, versus coming up with original thought is high tonight. So expect a lot of Golden Years Simpsons. Ladies and gentlemen, the fever has him. <laughs> <laughs> that and the cough that sounds like Muttley. You know, it, it is worth pointing out, you know, we had Charlie Davis on our show just a few weeks ago, uh, you know, easily uh, one of, of the, the great X-Force and specifically Shatterstar boosters uh, out there. And they did not bring that series up in our hour long conversation about Shatterstar and X-Force. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I guess we'll find out what all this is in... Uh, in April. I just want to see what the odds are. I want to see what the window is before the X instance shows up in some sort of, you know, secret war style or exiles reality hopping thing. But, uh, moving on, I guess, uh, you know, we'll, we'll crash things a little bit here. Um, it's been, it's been an interesting first month of the year for, discussions of comics retail um you know i don't know how how closely you guys follow that but i was just reading before i came down here brian hibbs's most recent uh tilting at windmills column over at comics beat and it's it's gone from the sky is falling to the sky has fallen i was right all along type of stuff I will say that amongst retailers that I've known as I worked in retail for 15 years, Hibbs was always looked as at as the most negative Nelly of negative Nellies. Mm. Not necessarily saying he's wrong or anything. I'm just saying that he has, even amongst retailers, was always perceived as the guy who's been saying the sky is falling for 20 years. Absolutely. Uh, you know, one thing, I mean, this was also, this past week was also the week where Diamond released its year-end stats for for 2018. And the thing that I t- kind of took away from it is, you know, comics and graphic novel sales together were up slightly over 2017, uh, you know, after a down year. But if you look at that top 10, what you're seeing is all these books with inflated price tags. So for example, the the top selling comic of 2018 was Action Comics 1000, which had a price price tag of 7.99, followed immediately thereafter by Amazing Spider-Man 800, which had a price tag of 10 bucks, which apparently is, you know, the thing that used to be like, oh, I can get an image volume 1 trade for 9.99, uh, you know, and get into Wicked and the Divine that way. Now we're seeing, you know, single issues going for that much and Detective 1000 already is the first, I think, $10 book of uh, this this young year. You know, who knows how many more are behind it. But, uh, you know, kind of getting back to the, the original point, um, you know, I there are a few other retailers that I've seen out there who are kind of known quantities who are kind of chiming in not to the same degree as, as Hibbs, but... You know, Mile High closed one of their stores this year. Uh, Phil Boyle from Coliseum of Comics kind of had a whole thing where basically, like he pointed out like eight problems in comics and his solutions to them. I think this was on ICB2. And most of his solutions were 
cut down just to subscriptions. You know, instead of kind of buying extra copies for the wall. I'm sorry, that's self-defeating. You can't get anybody new into the hobby if you're not don't have anything to sell them. Yeah, I mean, but by the same token, I mean, the problem that has always been for these specialty shops is returnability. Oh, do, do not get me wrong. I I have, I have, I can quote chapter and verse discussions about returnability being one of the things that this industry desperately, desperately needs, and that the biggest publisher in the industry makes returnability the hardest is a major issue. And the second and the second largest publisher is now doing everything in its power to spread its its offerings well beyond specialty shops. Uh, you know, uh, they started with those Walmart 80 page uh, giant digests last year. They're expanding them this year and now they're moving into Target with this uh secondary line of Target exclusive uh, comics. And, and I wanted to say something about that because it at least signals that they're trying something different. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. And I think that's important. Now, what happens in actuality is that, you know, us nerds run out to Walmart and, you know, swallow them up before they go anywhere else mm -hmm. before we can actually bring new consumers into the marketplace. But ultimately, this, this idea that we have to sort of cloister off comics into these little specialty shops that may or may not be welcoming to new people, uh, that model has to change because it's not working. Like we, we're seeing diminishing returns. That's, you know, that's, that's why these numbers keep going down. It's just the whole model is just off kilter. Uh, and, and I do like that at least DC is trying something different. You know, Marvel tried with those Archie Digest, and those didn't work. And I respect them for, again, trying. Um, whether these, these DC uh, exclusives are going to mean anything in the long term, I don't know. But, again, I appreciate the effort. I mean, I will say I own pretty much all of those DCs. I think I missed Justice League or Titans number one, I can't recall which. And I try to go to different Walmarts so I'm not eating them all up at one Walmart. But I have been down that little area where they keep them, and I've seen kids picking through the Yu-Gi-Oh cards, through the Pokemon cards. Through... I've never seen a kid go near the comics. I also, and I have to share this because this happened today, but I decided to attempt to crawl out of my cave and go out and get myself something to eat for lunch, and pick up the new round of them, which came out over the weekend. And I'm going to say something and it's going to sound terrible and it's going to sound fever. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's quite possible. Uh, I'm going to sound like a snob, but I, I really Walmart is the most Eisley cantina of <laughs> retail. Nowhere will you find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. I, I, I'm walking into the to the Walmart, and I hear shouting, and I'm like, okay, I'm sure someone is annoyed for not being able to return something or whatever, and I go in, and as I'm in, I see one of the employees pushing a big, you know, 
stacked cards, a bunch of cards to cordon off the return area. And then I see the middle-aged guy in the full tracksuit with the broken nose and the blood streaming down him shouting about, yeah, he tried to knock me out. Nobody's ever knocked me out. You ask anybody, nobody can knock me out. And I'm like, oh, well, he can't get at me because those carts are blocking him. Let me grab my comics and run because I don't want to have to come back here and again. <laughs> but I'm not going to that Walmart again. Oh, no. But, and yeah, that, that it, was my first time out of the house in four days. I, I think part of the problem and, and why, you know, anecdotally you're not seeing kids invested in these in these exclusives is because there, there's a power imbalance, right? DC needs Walmart more than Walmart needs DC. So that's why these books are just kind of getting thrown into some corner with, like you said, the Yu-Gi-Oh cards. If there was some alternative where you could find a retailer who was like, Oh my God, we can't we can't wait to have these exclusive books. We're going to market them. We're going to feature them. We're going to put them, uh, you know, next to the to the DVDs, and we're going to provide an entry point for people who love, you know, the 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 Wonder Woman movie and the Aquaman movie, and and we're going to really work with you guys to promote this stuff. Uh, that would be great. But again, I don't think they have that now. Absolutely. And then like on the other side of the coin is like your ink and your zoom lines, which are marketed toward the bookstore crowd, you know, more so, I mean, the comic shops will probably carry them, but you know, if you're, let's say your average middle grade, uh, you know, young adult reader, you're probably going to see them at a Barnes and Noble before you're going to see them in your, you know, your local comic shop, because, you know, are you going there? I mean, there are, um, yeah, I, I'm really stumbling over myself tonight. Sorry, everyone. Um, I feel like they are. There is a market for that. That again, DC is trying for that Marvel isn't. Your uh, Captain Underpants, your other Dav Pilkey stuff mm-hmm. sells from there. I was listening to a podcast today that was a. Uh, group of three different people commenting on their top five indie comics of all time and both two different lists feature one featured bone but really calling out the scholastic editions not the original black and white jeff smiths Mm -hmm. and one called out smile by Raina telgermeyer and telgermeyer is probably and they said it and i'm pretty sure they're right probably the best-selling graphic novelist in the world right now, or at least in America. Pardon, probably not the world because of the reach of manga. But Togemeyer sells more copies than name your Marvel or DC creator. And because they're in the bookstores, and they're not niche. And they still sell at comic shops. We used to sell the hell out of Raina Togemeyer at the shop I worked at. You know, and and speaking of the shop that you worked at, you know that that is kind of the one bright point. Now we had uh, Anthony Marquis from Dewey's Comic City on uh, last month, and I, I gotta say, more so than any any retailer I've heard talk or write 
in the last few weeks, I feel like he was the most upbeat. Uh, I mean, part of that is he's been doing this for a year, so he hasn't been cruelly broken by the industry. But <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, apparently, uh, Comics Pro just a few months ago issued this whole report about things that they want to see change, and like the major things, I think, at least up top, was you know doing away with not necessarily variants but you know the 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 uh emphasis on gated variants you know as a means to kind of flood the market with product and uh and more returnability which we already you know talked about and i i that's 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 the one i see diamond just going full trump on and being like no fucking way <laughs> 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 you, you never want to go full Trump, Daniel. You always want to go like, you know, 50% Trump. And and speaking of somebody who just actually started collecting mm-hmm. some variants, um, it, it's weird, right? Because I, I understand that it's it's part of the marketing. It's part of, you know, just getting me to buy something. But by God, some of them are just so pretty. I can't, I can't help myself. That is true. There is a drawback to, you know, you can't wave your magic, you know, not a wand, wave your monkey's paw around and, and say, man, I wish they get out, you know, get rid of variants. You know, suddenly you just put a whole ton of artists out of, out of a job. You know, you're going to have guys like Michael Cho and Joshua Middleton and Chris Anka, you know, uh, out looking for, uh, out begging for scraps. And we don't want that. No, I mean uh, Stanley Art uh, Art Jam that did a, he did a whole month of DC variants mm-hmm. not too long ago. I mean I think what DC does with uh, most of their rebirth books, where it's just a one to one a one you or an order as many as you like, isn't the end of the world. It, it gives readers an option. Some people like to buy both. Some people just pick theirs. I always, by default go for the A variant just because it's the one that's kind of more tied to the story. But I will tell you flat out, I have fun now uh, dollar bin and con diving for the variants to the current uh, Tom King Batman run. Anytime Which I is see exactly of... what I just started collecting. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Anytime I see one of those in a, a discount bin, I grab them. Absolutely. Because there's... They're so beautiful, right? The the DC variants, they're they're stripped of all the, the branding. It's just art. And so more often than not, gorgeous art. Oh yeah. I mean I will say and every now and then they get me. The Batman forty four, which had the uh Batman and Catwoman sort of mirrored getting ready for the wedding variants. It was like, okay, I'm buying both of these. You won. Who, who uh, do you remember who drew those? Um, Michael Jenning did the Batman, oh, okay. and Joel Jones did Catwoman. I was gonna say because I mean, obviously, we've all seen the the, the Joel Jones dress, but I, I I we saw this a lot around. I think it was like the last issue of Metal. Uh, Jenning drew like the the epilogue scene, and then just from drawing Batman, he is very good at drawing people in suits. Yes. Yes, his Bat Bruce in a Tux was a gorgeous cover. 
Um, I, no, go ahead. I mean, variants. I don't see variants going anywhere because people have been complaining about the return of variants for about a decade from about a couple months after variants started being a thing again. And they haven't gone away yet. And I don't expect them to. And you've got a lot of companies. I mean, Archie does six covers to every book that comes out and nobody complains about them because they're order what you like. I think that's probably your safest model. It's the, uh, you, what, what was the phrase you used? The gateway variant. That's the one that's the problem. And I've seen some retailers do some creative stuff around that. Um, if I, I know of one retailer who he and a few other retailers, if one of them has a customer who wants that one in a hundred variant, one of them will order exorbitantly high on that book and they'll split the extra copies. Okay. Just to allow that one guy to be able to give his customer who wants every star Wars variant out there, that variant. And then the other two retailers just sort of, I mean, they're cutting out, they're cutting out the middleman or maybe that's not the right turn of phrase, but they're all ordering through the one retailer. It, it wouldn't be perfect in that world where I don't know how Marvel's gateway variants work currently, but it used to be a lot of them were order this percentage of what you ordered of this book to get the variant for this book. It was this incredibly arcane system. And I hope that they aren't doing that anymore because it always required so much math and and let's be fair nobody who worked in a comic book store started working there because they were graduating with a degree in advanced math that's why i'm a goddamn doctorate in communications i'm not here for math sir <laughs> <laughs> i'm here for them words <laughs> um i w i will say though on the whole the um the price inflation that we're seeing. I mean, your average book being, it has been three ninety nine for a while now, you know, but the, the gradual inflating of prices on, you know, milestone books is getting to be a bit much. I mean, I'm, I'm going to use this as my, my example to, to yell at cloud about, uh, uncanny X-Men number 11. Uh, I think that comes out like next month or in a couple of weeks. That's going to be $7.99. Now, Uncanny's been going on for 10 weeks straight at, you know, $3.99. I think the first issue was $7.99. Issue 10 was $4.99. And then we're getting an annual that's $4.99. Just, you know, the week at, this week, uh, as we're recording this, the uh, 23rd. And I, I can't remember whether 11 comes out the following week or the week after, but I think it's two weeks. Yeah. Okay. So February 6th, um, that is, that is a lot of money. Now, granted there are fewer X books now because they're all basically the one with the exception of like X force and Mr. And Mrs. X. But I, you know, that that's, that's, that's also, that's still asking a lot. The problem is it's a lot. I'll pay. 
and you know, as somebody who reads primarily digital, I'm struck by the idea that uh, the comicsology prices are the same as the you know the shop prices, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. But at the same time, I want to make sure that these these artists and writers are getting paid. So it's it, the whole pricing structure is just so weird, you know. And I mean, Dan, you, I think you just said it with, you know, it's a price you're willing to pay. Tom Brevoort in one of his more tactful moments. <laughs> Those are few and far between. <laughs> yes, but this was actually stated in a fairly tactful way. Said that when asked many moons ago about, you know, Marvel's prices increasing, he said, and I, I might be wrong now that I'm saying this out loud, it might have been Joe Quesada, which would explain why it is bordering on tactful. But it might it was either Brevoort or Quesada said that Marvel prices their books for what the market will bear. And if the market showed that it wouldn't bear higher prices, they wouldn't price their books that way. I think the question becomes when the shrinking market indicates that the market will no longer bear that price. Now, again, we're getting into micro and macro economics. We've got, you know, English major, communications major, theater major here. So none of us are going to be speaking on macro and microeconomics at an expert level, but it is showing that the market is bearing that price for the moment. For the, exactly. And, you know, I think that's where, where we, we see Hibbs has a point because if 2018 sales were boosted, so, you know, on the, on the backs of, of, you know, kind of squeezing what they can from the wallets of, of you know, what few kind of diehard readers there are, then yeah, maybe we are, you know, maybe we do see that reckoning. Maybe it's not this year. You know, there is an element of, you know, climate change scare to that. But for, you know, us nerds, but uh, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I mean, I will say DC for a long time, the buy for the first year and a half to two years of rebirth the bi-monthly no bi-weekly cry pardon bi-weekly books were still 2.99 holding the line and, <laughs> yep and then they went up and that only recently i've noticed that pinch because i got most of those 2.99 books and now that they're 3.99 that extra five or six dollars a week it adds up and it's meant that I've been looking a little more critically at, you know, maybe I'm not going to add that new title or what am I going to drop to add that new title? And I'm a, you know, let the uh, voulez-vous bon temps rouler, let the good times roll, give me more comics kind of guy. So the fact that I'm looking at it like, oh, maybe I need to cut back some places if I want to add some more books. It's not a good sign for the, the big two there. I mean, considering you, you, you've, uh, you've told us on numerous, numerous occasions that you, the owner of your, uh, your, your preferred shop refers to you as a whale. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I get a nice discount. But, you know, a little bit of a, a, a confessional here, uh, you know, 
Will, this is new information for you. Matt kind of has been well aware of this for a while now. I was debating. I spent quite a, a chunk of change these last few months, you know, researching what I would need to open a, a open my own comic shop. And, you know, I, I, I had like most of a business plan drawn up. I found a location that I was in love with, you know, and as I was continuing to read and crunch the numbers, you know, I realized, A, I need like ten thousand more dollars, and <laughs> and 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 B, you know, I'm starting to read all the, you know all this stuff from from all these different retailers, and it wasn't just Hibs; it was also, you know, the guy from Coliseum of Comics, it was Chuck Rosinski from Mile High, it was Joe Field from Flying Color, you know, the the people who you know for all intents and purposes are like the rock stars of of, of comics retail, if such a thing can exist, and you know, it's like maybe I give it another year. Let's just wait and see how this all plays out. <laughs> yeah. But let's I think oh, go ahead. Secret, is that uh, you open a bar that also sells comics. Hey, coffee shop with comics works for Amalgam. Yeah. I mean, it's another place where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. <laughs> am, I coming down, am, am I coming down with the flu? I'm, I'm speaking in quotes. <laughs> The fever's spreading. Uh, it's, it's spreading via snowball mics. <laughs> oh, man. But let, let's move on to some, some something a little, a little more celebratory. Uh, today, Ahoy came out and announced their second wave. And, you know, of all the, the kind of new publishers who have, have jumped into the game in the last year, you know, we had uh, TKO uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, like Humanoids is going to do a shared superhero universe, I think, starting this summer or something like that. Uh, I think Ahoy is my favorite. And just based on the, the new titles that they announced today, uh, I, I believe that that holds true, continues to hold true. Um, let me go get dig up the examples here. Uh, my favorite was one called Bronze Age Boogie, which is basically just going to be a mashup of every popular comic genre from the 1970s. So it's, uh, let's see, Apes, Monsters, Kung Fu, Sword and Sorcery, and Cosmic Adventure, all in one book. And I that, think what really separates Ahoy from maybe something like an Aftershock Mm -hmm. is that their line is so curated. There is a sensibility in that all of the books tend to skew humorous. Like, you know, uh, the, the content differs a little bit. Like uh, in the first wave, Captain Gender is presented more, you know, seriously, but it's still inherently funny. Yes. And I really like that. Um, so many other uh, starting publishers are just like, yeah, we got this book and this book and this book. And, the, and there's no sense that they all fit together. But you look at Ahoy and there is a there's a sensibility about the publisher. And I and I really respect that. Yeah, absolutely. And Bronze Age Boogies from Stuart Moore, who wrote Captain Ginger, which I just read the final issue of earlier this afternoon and was a great wrap up to that series. Yes, sir. Uh, let's see. What else do we got? We got Planet of the Nerds, in which three high school jocks in the 80s are frozen by an experimental cryogenics device to be revived in 2019. In the computer-driven superhero movie-loving world of 2019, an era ruled by nerds. I, 
there's something absolutely delightful about that as a concept. It, it it's funny because you go back and you look at everything from those John Hughes movies that you could not get within a hundred yards of today. Oh and, God, no! <laughs> and it's just like, wow, th- th- this will be absolutely fascinating. And hilarious. Yes, uh, and then they're given hashtag danger its own series. Uh, that was a, that started as backups in uh, the first wave of books, and then their fourth one is is a one shot. But basically, it's uh, three comics, and then you get to vote which one goes to an ongoing series. And one of them is written by Mark Wade. Yeah, my money's on his, whatever it is. Yeah, a little bit little bit well, another I mean, one well, I mean, it's up against one written by tom pyre and one written by Stuart moore so uh, you know there might be some inherent bias there too since they're both executives in the company that is true <laughs> but i, I yeah. do like the name of mark wade's it's called noah like the name noah zark oh mark wade wordplay uh, but I, I'm, I'm excited just sort of generally for for where these guys uh, go with their, um, you know, their both their second and their third waves. Um, and and to be fair, uh, since I did just say guys, uh, there's there's a little it's a little disconcerting with their kind of, you know, uh, diversity. Uh, but, you know, we'll maybe they'll work on that as they, they evolve. I know that uh, I was looking at uh, Mark Russell's uh, tweets earlier today. He said he's going to have a book, not in this line, but in, you know, maybe the third or fourth wave. So that's going to be something to look forward to. And I think, did Chris Russo do the art for the hashtag danger backups? He did indeed. Wow. That is really not in the style that one expects from Chris Russo. Well, the cover for, Chris Russo, who did Mini Marvels and G-Man and Encounter, is listed as the artist for Hashtag Danger. And I don't remember him being the artist on the backups. I now need to look at that because if he did, he was not working in his trademark style. I am almost positive it was him. Wow. Bravo, Chris Russo, then. So that uh, I think that concludes the, the, the sort of news portion of this chat. Uh, I figured, you know, just spend the last little bit of time here talking about what we're reading now. Uh, you know, particular favorites. Uh, we'll start with our guest. Will, uh, what, are, what are you picking these days? Uh, well, let's see. Um, I, I mentioned earlier I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the ongoing Bat books. Um, I really liked the miniseries that just, uh, finished up last week, uh, Kings of Fear. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed that. Not just for the sort of, uh, period art from, uh, from Kelly Jones, but just from the story, like the, the structure of the book, uh, it's a six issue miniseries, right? And the, the story is more, a lot, more or less paid off in five issues. But the coda in that six is so good. It's basically, um, you know, it, the, the, the first five issues are like this, this therapy session between Batman and Scarecrow. 
And like at the at the end of those five, like Scarecrow has convinced Batman that he's making you know Gotham worse. And the sixth issue is this this really nice uplifting like, hey, here's all the people that you know appreciate Batman, and this is how he's actually helping Gotham. So I really like that uh, that 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 miniseries uh, as Amen. opposed to uh, some miniseries that uh, that that DC has done that I have complained about on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, but that was uh, that's Kenny Jones. Goddamn uh, White Knight sequel. Uh, I think you might have the only two Batman fans in the world who are not big fans of White Knight on this podcast together. Matthew, I love you. I don't uh, know you, but I love you. I, I'm uh, glad someone's on board with me. That book was terrible. Yeah, not, not a fan. I, I I also I absolutely loved that last issue of Kings of Fear because it is so easy of all the superheroes to do that shtick about how Batman makes his villains and Batman makes Gotham worse. It's so tired at this point. Just just you know, sometimes you have to suspend your disbelief, people. Uh, Kings of Fear. That's uh, that's Kelly Jones, right? Yes, and yes. and um, as I will eventually publish in the next Wednesday Warriors, uh, the art is is certainly what you, what should get you into the book, but the story is quite good too. Excellent, uh, Matt. What do you have uh, top of your list? Um, well, or just the first thing you want to mention. <laughs> first thing I want to mention, since we're already talking about the Bat books, and I am talking about this only after having read the first two issues, as the third issue came out last week, and I haven't quite gotten to the bottom of my stack yet, as I'm a person who reads comic they want to read the most last. I build the anticipation. Um, uh, Pete Tomasi and Doug Monkey's Detective. I have... They made a choice in the second issue, and it's as it's less than a month old, I don't want to spoil it, that I was not enamored with because it took a character off the board who I feel like should not have been taken off the board because they mean a lot. But Tomasi handled it in a way that made it meaningful and made it affecting. And Tomasi is... I don't know if he underrated is right because I mean, the dude has written Batman and Robin and Superman. So he's had, you know, a fairly, a fairly big career with headline books, but he's not a writer that people talk about in the same breath with your Jason Aaron's or your Brian Michael Bendis's or your Scott Snyder's, but he writes a fine Batman. And I'm looking forward to see what he's building towards in his run-up to Detective 1000. I will, I will second all of that. I have really enjoyed uh, this, this run because, um, uh, you know, Tinian had such a long run on this Rebirth Detective. Um, but I think... 
some of the some of the art and the layout just really got in the way of, of the story he was trying to tell. Um, you know, Tomasi has gotten back to the basics, and I really liked maybe the the first uh, issue he did, and and that always emphasized and that emphasized uh, you know Batman as a detective, which is great. Um, but I have been really enjoying this. Uh, the the ultimate payoff and how it works into our our how it's going to work in uh, Arkham Knight. You know, like I'm not like entirely sure. But this this run so far has been great. Yeah, I uh, I uh, second what you said. I love Tinian's run, but the constant shift, the the artistic musical chairs on that book is the one fault I could really find in it. I mean, that's kind of the nature of the beast with biweekly books, though, isn't it? A little bit. It is, but. A lot of times they were trying to get artists who were similar but weren't quite the same. I think it might almost be better to get artists who can do an arc and then get an artist who is vastly different or at least distinct for the next arc versus trying to get guys who look kind of sort of the same doing almost alternating issues because that can be much more jarring. I'd wager, especially if you're reading it in the trade, which I don't, but. Well, I'll tell you, I think, I think Greg Rucka on his wonder woman uh, book, like figured it out. It's like, you got to alternate like both in the story you're telling and the artist you're using. And you know that might be a little bit jarring, but I think it's I think it's best for for the overall health of the book. Like you know, you you switch off you know uh, week in and week out. Otherwise, you know, double shipping just does not work. But um, uh, you know, I, I I agree with you that that it's it's generally a mess. Um, I do have one. Batman related question, not for either of the books that you just mentioned, but this, I read this recently, uh, it was Batman 62, the one with Mitch Garrods on art, the professor pig issue. Uh-huh. I didn't get it. Yeah. That's uh, not a question. It was a statement of fact, but still like, I didn't understand what happened at the end there. So let me, let me just rant about this arc generally. Um, the, the Nightmares arc, which started in 61, I initially did not understand at all. But it is an arc of one-shots, which is a fancy way of saying anthology, which means that I have to love it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, and, and there, was a, there was a review posted at Newsarama that went like really deep in the, into the mythology and Professor Pig and like all of that. Um, I did not read it on a very deep level. I just enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, I think that like people could hate it or they love it, and I think your opinion is fine. I think the whole arc is literally like like Batman has been knocked unconscious, and these are a series of nightmares that he's having. Uh, I know that this week we're going to have another one shot with uh, with Constantine, and I'm I'm interested to read that. But uh, I I love this kind of like I said this anthology approach. Uh, but the art in '62 was gorgeous. Oh so, yeah. Mm-hmm. E- even if you don't like the the story, 
which is basically nothing but like Batman's eternal monologue. Um, and then I, I think it, if you if you you said you didn't get it, I think the idea is uh, maybe at the very end is like uh, dealing with uh, Damian Wayne and their current strained relationship, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, I just, I read it at a very surface level and enjoyed the hell out of it. It does what make, he said. Yeah. <laughs> it does make more sense when you describe the whole thing as a Jacob's Ladder scenario. Ha! <laughs> um, all right. So my first pick in this, uh, round Robin here, uh, another, I'll, I'll go with my DC title since we're all on that, uh, subject. I am digging the crap out of Martian Manhunter by Steve Orlando and, uh, Riley Rosmo. Uh, it is just, it is, you know, highly stylized, but gorgeous to look at. Um, you know, the, 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 all the scenes on Mars and just, you know, Martian culture, that world building is just gorgeous. I don't, you know, I don't know how much of it is, is ground that's been trod before because I'm not like a super Martian manhunter expert. You know, uh, Matt, Matt obviously will have a better handle on that than me, but, uh, you know, it's beautiful to look at and it's quirky and interesting in all the ways that I need from the next DC book. I'm going to read after Mr. Miracle. Like it just came out at the right time. I mean, I am a huge Martian Manhunter fan. He is in my, if not top five, at least top 10 comic book characters of all time. And a lot of that is thanks to the John Ostrander series. Uh, I can speak for hours about the fact that Ostrander makes any character he touches better uh, or more interesting. But, I mean, this is a very different take on John than we've seen before. And I understand there are some people who aren't pleased with that. I, many years ago... God help me many years ago, I wrote a piece about the immediate, psychotically, violently angry reaction to Ben Affleck being cast as Batman. And the fact that that might not be your Batman, it might not be my Batman, but it's somebody's Batman. And that's okay, because... I mean, it's the classic, they're not going to come and tear up your old Martian Manhunter comics because this is a different Martian Manhunter. And the the fact that they're going with the bad cop makes, tries to make good narrative, it's a different narrative than we've ever seen. Uh, And that's perfectly fine. I mean, we've had a continuity reboot. John hasn't had a decent origin in this new continuity. So... Why not go with something vastly different? I am curious. They did name drop. Uh, I'm not even going to try to do any kind of funky Martian pronunciation on it. Uh, Malefic, his brother, who in the pre-Flashpoint continuity was responsible for the, the psychic plague that wipes out the Martians. I don't think they're going to go there. I think that was probably just a name drop for nerds like me. But I like that there is still a little bit of, you know, name drop nerdery for those of us who have been following John for all these years. The only thing I really have to add is because I haven't I haven't read uh, Martian Manhunter. It's in it's in my 
uh, interminable stack, uh, is that I think almost everything that you guys have said can also apply to the Green Lantern uh, uh, by Morrison, which I have been really enjoying. Mm. I, I also am, am very much enjoying that. It's, it's, it's very much Grant Morrison at his Grant Morrisoniest. Uh, put it that way, you know, kind of up there with like new X-Men uh, and Liam Sharp is on point with the art. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what, Will, what's, uh, what's your next book in the line there? Uh, well, I think uh, yeah, we talked about the, the new uh, Ahoy books coming up. I, and we, we mentioned briefly uh, uh, Captain Ginger. I think uh, as they're finishing this first wave, uh, High Heaven and uh, The Wrong Earth have simply been great. Um, the Wrong Earth took me a little bit of time to get into because I can't just like do a surface read of those books. It always takes me back to uh, uh, Irredeemable, uh, Mark Wade's book. You know, we, we mentioned him earlier. Uh, but you know, when I read something like wrong earth, I'm like, uh, okay, like which, which Batman character, you know, which, 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 how does this apply, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, I'm doing the, the conversion rate in my brain, but I think it's, uh, the wrong earth specifically has been a really nice nuanced look at what if you took, you know, the, the Frank Miller Batman, you put him in the batman 66 universe what if you took the batman 66 uh you know white knight and you took and you put him in this this dark bleak you know modernist take on batman and i think it's been it's been really great um and and high heaven has has been great too uh and um uh uh the the edgar Allan poe book uh uh snifter of terror or brandy or or one of the other or both maybe i don't know it's terror Um, what's that it's terror yeah i i'm into the second bourbon so my contributions have been uh, decreasing in quality uh i'll blame the fever um (laughs) just start speaking uh, in quotes everything will be fine (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah like again i've i've enjoyed the whole line and uh, I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting until uh, Snifter of Terror does the uh, uh, the Telltale Heart. Excellent, um, Matt. How about you? Okay. Um, again, I am speaking having not quite gotten through last week's books. So the final issue of the new volume of Jeremy Whitley's Princeless came out last week. And this most recent volume, uh, Volume 7, Find Yourself, has been one of the strongest of the series. And it's a series that I have loved since uh, stumbling across Volume 1 after a recommendation off of Comics Alliance back in the day. Rest in peace. Um, And uh, for those of you who didn't hear our interview with Whitley on the podcast some time ago or... I don't know. Princeless is the story of Princess Adrian, a princess who was locked in a tower waiting for her prince to come. And she decided, screw that noise, 
befriended the dragon who was guarding her, uh, flew off on said dragon, and went to rescue her sisters who were trapped in various towers. And now, seven volumes on, she's down to just two sisters, her el- the eldest and the youngest. And as of the beginning of this arc, she had been uh, stripped of most of her allies, and in this arc has wandered through the desert and stumbled across that uh, her eldest sister. And Whitley has done so much incredible work going against type, against what you'd expect in the volumes of Princeless, that you get to this point where you almost get what you'd expect from a traditional fairy tale, but as it turns out, not quite. Because without giving too much away um and hell i mean at least because this book has been coming out on a uh bi-weekly schedule pretty much so it all came out real quick um she finds said eldest sister whose name i should have written down but the fever um and it turns out that this sister is now sort of the queen of this utopian city that sprung up around her tower And it's all happened because she was rescued by a prince. But he's not like all of the other princes we've seen. Because most of the princes that we've seen over the course of Princeless are dunderheads and blowhards and asshats. Uh, Except for Ash, uh, Adrian's brother, who's quiet and thoughtful. She, the, the prince who rescued... Her sister is the science nerd, and they've built this sort of science utopia. And he's not what you'd expect. And it's Whitley, A, subverting the the big trope of, you know, I'm Prince Charming, and I'm coming to save you, and you're going to be my little woman, because they're equal partners. But also going against anyone who... And I've fortunately never seen a Comics Gate response to Princeless, probably because it comes out from a small independent publisher. But it would be easy to imagine that sort of response they would get of, you know, oh, you you see, you're saying that all men are terrible and, you know, a woman doesn't need a man. And, you know, this. it's like, no, you can still have a relationship between a man and a woman that works as a partnership built up in a world that has been a lot about empowering just yourself. It's, it's a really interesting addition to that world. And I'm looking forward to finally reading that last issue. Once we're off this podcast recording. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, I think for my round three, uh, I'm going with a a new favorite or at least a a first issue that really uh, spoke to me. Or, or that I enjoyed, which was uh, Gunning for Hits from Image. Uh, cheap plug, we're supposed to be talking to Jeff Rugby next week. But um, I, no, I thought it was a really interesting kind of uh, take on 
you know, uh, mixing uh, crime and also the music industry. I, I think the most interesting part of the first issue is it, the middle of it is like this um, chibi style explainer of how the music industry works, like actually getting into the minutia, which, you know, done inexpertly could have just been a very, you know, uh, molasses-like exposition dump. But this was actually really entertaining. And I also just like the perspective that rugby is bringing to the table as somebody who worked in the music industry for years, but also happened to be a really big uh, comics geek and now being able to meld those together. Uh, you know, plus he, you can tell he's just got tons of really good David Bowie stories. So, uh, you know, I, I'm here for that. Now, it's, it's hard to talk about that book and especially hard to talk about that section that you liked without touching at least, you know, what, what Twitter got it, you know, furious about that little touch of anti-Semitism, perhaps. Is, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I was excited to read the book and then I, I saw that commentary and now like my, my enthusiasm has been turned down a couple of notches and it's one of those situations where I wish Image, I, I know their, their brand is like, look, we're just a publisher. We don't speak for any of these books that we publish, but I wish they had somebody that was reading this stuff and was like, hey, maybe you should think twice about this, this representation of you know, a lawyer with a giant hook nose. Like, maybe you should should think about that and what you're saying and what you want to do. Yeah. I actually, I, I think I was just this morning that I caught a piece on that on the MNT. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good look. Um, it's not quite divided states of hysteria, but that's not, to, that's not to excuse it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, it'll be interesting to see if there is any sort of response to that going forward. Um, well, what do you got for your third? Uh, my third is, uh, as we're, we're rounding into the home stretch with the series, the whispering dark over at, uh, dark horse. Uh, they just came out with the, the third out of four. It is such a great little mini-series. Uh, basically, uh, Platoon mixed with, like, supernatural elements. It's about this, uh, this, um, this future war in, uh, in sort of Eastern Europe against uh, Russia that slowly dissolves into this, uh, this sort of uh, mix, again, of the supernatural and it is such such a great read, and that it it evolves so slowly. And I, I have just loved reading these first three issues, and I can't wait to get a handle on uh, on the fourth one that is really going to get into again this like this totally uh, demonic supernatural sort of stuff. Uh, I just I, again I just loved um, just this 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 ethos of um, 
you know, being a grunt in the military and then dealing with uh, this weird, weird, weird stuff that is happening. And it's, it's such a great read. Awesome. Uh, Matt, how about your, uh, your third there? My third is a little different in that it's not a traditional comic comic. It does. It's coming out from Lion Forge, which is a new publisher, a recent publisher anyway. And there are a couple of comics pages in each issue usually, but uh, it's called Rolled and Told, R-O-L-L-E-D and Told, T-O-L-D. I don't think I've talked about it much if at all, on uh, WMQ, but I am a gamer. Um, my wife and I have a bi-weekly uh, RPG playing group that we have been taking part in for about a decade now. I mean, I've been playing different RPGs since uh, high school. Um, and Rolled and Told is a, a RPG magazine. It's comic-sized. Um, it's on the pricey end. It's seven ninety nine, but it's probably about 100 pages, at least 70 to 100 pages each issue. It's articles about gaming. You get uh, an adventure in each issue that fits with your typical D20 Dungeons & Dragons 5e uh, system. And they're doing a really cool job of, you know, making this a fun little accessible D&D adventure in a sort of comic booky kind of format. Um, I wound up getting an extra copy of the first issue and giving it to my gaming group last week, and they were really digging it. So uh, issue five comes out uh, two days from now. So if you are also a gamer and haven't checked out Rolled and Told, it is worth your time. Very cool. Uh, I am, I'm going to close it out with, uh, you know, something I kind of hinted at earlier, uh, in our talk about prices, but, uh, Uncanny X-Men, uh, disassembled, wrapped, I guess last week at this point or two weeks ago, but, um, I, I'm all, I'm all in on this, on this current era. I, you know, honestly, uh, one thing I think I said, I said this in a conversation with, uh, like Trent Seeley or somebody, it does, there's an element to this, the, the 10 issue kind of weekly thing that just wrapped and, and this era of X-Men in general, that there's a little, if you look at the characters that are being highlighted and used, there is a little bit of fan service there. I mean, they just built an entire, you know, they're building an, their entire like first quarter around Nate Gray, which is insane, you know, but I, I feel like the X-Men fandom in, in particular there's a level of engagement right now between the fandom and the creators who all come from the fandom. You know, uh, Matt Rosenberg's on record as saying he's like a a huge fan of like Havoc and Jamie Madrox. You know, Leah Williams came from the fandom. Kelly Thompson came, you know, uh, they're all from there. And they, it's, it's almost like, I don't know. It just it just feels like the readers have a voice in in the direction of the book, but not in a in a silly way. Yeah, that's that that's where I'm going with that. But anyway, um, I, I've just I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying the characters that they've been 
kind of choosing the spotlight and I'm all in on this age of X-Men event that is uh, on the cusp of happening. Hell, I wasn't even excited about Cyclops coming back from the dead, but now I'm kind of like, okay, yeah. All right. Cyclops is right. Yes, Matt. Cyclops was always right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Mr. Sherman, everything sticks. (laughs) Oh man. So, I I mean, this Major X thing is the first thing I saw that made me blink and go, maybe not, maybe not this. (laughs) But uh, as we are, as we are wrapping up, uh, Will, as always, how can people follow you online if you in fact wish to be followed? Yes, if you'd like my garbage tweets, uh, at Will Nevin, if you'd like to read my content, uh, OregonLive.com slash books where you can find my Wednesday Warriors uh, columns. And uh, I surmise in the next week or two, I'll have something at uh, Mr. Groats here. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Very excited about that. Um, all right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you as ever. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes and the ability to promote your work on our site. And two dollars gets you a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Laswitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our first and foremost patron, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the MNT. Uh, you can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Finally, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. WMQA!